Chapter Thirteen of Leatherface: A Tale of Old Flanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface: A Tale of Old Flanders by Baroness Orksey. Chapter Thirteen: My Faithful Watchdog some two hours later in a long low vaulted room which was the refectory of the convent of the sisters of st agneton some two thousand men were assembled they sat on wooden benches all round the two huge horseshoe-shaped tables at which the sisters were wont to take their meals the room was situate on the ground floor of the convent building and a row of low groined windows ran the whole length of one of the walls heavy curtains hung before all the windows and portieres were drawn over the doors at either end both in order to deaden all sound and to prevent all light from showing without tallow candles burned in tall pewter candelabra at intervals upon the tables the bulk of the men who were there were young or at any rate still in the prime of life strong and well-knit in figure the sort of men whom any leader would be glad to enroll as soldiers under his banner but there were others among them who were grave and elderly like monsieur denute the procurator-general and the baron van grobendock chief financial adviser on the town council monsieur pierre van overbeck vice bailiff of ghent was also there as well as messrs levin van dines the wealthy brewer at the sign of the star of the north in the newport lawrence van Rijk, son of the high bailiff and frederick van beveren wardmaster of the guild of armorers and there were a good many others gentlemen of substance and consideration in the town at this moment every one of those two thousand men were keeping their eyes fixed upon one who alone was standing under the dais at the end of the refectory where the abbess of the convent usually had her place this portion of the room was raised two steps above the rest and standing there the man who thus held the attention of all the others looked abnormally tall for he was dressed in doublet and hose of some dark stuff which clung to him like a skin his high boots reached well over his thighs his head was closely shrouded in a hood and his face was hidden by a mask made of untanned leather which left the mouth only quite free his highness the prince of orange whom may god protect he was saying in a loud clear voice which rang out from end to end of the room was fortunately able to furnish me with all your names and places of abode with the help of monsieur van Danes, who lent us his horses and monsieur lawrence van Rijk and frederick van beveren who gave me their assistance 
we were able to communicate with you all during the night and warn you of the imminent danger which hung over your heads it was well done friend leatherface said monsieur denut so well indeed that we are all ready and willing to place ourselves under your guidance and to accept you as our leader for of a truth we know not what we must do would to god said the man whom they called leatherface that i could do more for you than the little which i have done to each of you last night i gave the same warning danger is nigh terrible imminent for our plans are discovered and the presence of the prince of orange in ghent known to the duke of alva let all those who wish to do so leave the city at once with their wives and children for death and torture threatens those who remain as you see my dear friend said levin van danes the wealthy brewer quietly not one of us hath followed this portion of your advice you are all brave men and noble sons of flanders quoth leatherface earnestly his highness is proud of you he believes in you he trusts you a cause which has such men as you for its champions and defenders is assured of victory a murmur of satisfaction went round the room and leatherface resumed after a little while in the meanwhile with the help of god the precious person of the prince of orange is safe a hearty cheer quickly suppressed greeted this announcement from every side unfortunately continued leatherface i could not persuade his highness to leave the city early this morning he would not believe in the danger which was threatening him he would not believe that his plans and his presence here had been betrayed yes betrayed now said one of the younger men vehemently and by whom dost know by whom friend leatherface and all around the tables grimly set lips murmured by whom my god by whom were we betrayed and laurence van Rijk's glowing eyes were fixed upon the man under the canopy as if he would have torn the mask from off his face and read in those mysterious eyes the confirmation of his own horrible fears and leatherface looking straight into laurence's pale and haggard face said slowly by one who hath already paid the full price for all the misery which that betrayal will bring in its wake dead came in odd yet eager query from most of them there leatherface bent his head but gave no direct reply and all of them there were satisfied for they believed that the faithful and wary watchdog justiciary as well as guardian angel had discovered the betrayer and had killed him making him pay the full price for all the misery which he had brought about only laurence hung his head and dared not ask any more and now tell us about the prince urged monsieur van overbeck the vice-bailiff where is he now well on his way to bruges please god replied the man with the leather mask all day i had entreated him to go but he refused to listen you dream of treachery he said to me 
and see it where none exists. I spent the day scouting as far as Mel and Wetteran, for I felt that nothing would convince him but actual facts. At four o'clock in the afternoon, the advanced courier arrived from a lost. Luckily, his horse was less swift than mine. I managed to gain on him and brought in the news of the Duke of Alva's arrival to his highness half an hour before the commandant of the garrison knew of it. Even then it might have been too late, quoth one of the listeners. It very nearly was, retorted Leatherface, light-heartedly. Had the lieutenant governor sent advanced orders that his arrival be kept a secret until his troops passed through the city gates, the Prince of Orange would still be in Ghent at this hour. Holy Virgin! exclaimed Lawrence Van Ryck, and what did you do? His Highness donned doublet and hose of common buffle, and pulled a tattered felt hat well over his eyes, as did also the Count of Hoogstraten and young Count Mansfeld. I made myself look as like a draper's assistant as I could, and then the four of us joined the crowd. The rumor of the Duke's coming had spread all over the city. There were plenty of gaffers about. All round by the wall-port they abounded, and as the twilight slowly faded into dusk, the approaches to the gate were densely packed. No one was allowed to loiter round the guard-house or upon the bridge, but there were many who, with overwhelming loyalty, desired to greet the Duke of Alva even before he reached the confines of the city. That was our opportunity. The commandant at the wall-port happened to be in rare good humor. He thought the idea of meeting the lieutenant-governor and his troops some way outside the city an excellent one. He allowed those who wished to go across the bridge. The Prince of Orange, his two friends, and I were merged in that crowd, and no one took notice of us. Directly we reached Merrillbeck, we struck across the fields. In ten minutes we left the crowd a long way behind us, and had skirted the town as far as Wandelgem. We were in no danger then, but His Highness was greatly fatigued. There was a difficulty, too, about getting horses. Young Count Mansfeld was footsore, and the Count of Hoogstraten perished with thirst. In short, it was six o'clock before we had the horses ready, and I had the satisfaction of seeing the prince safely started on his way. When I returned, it was close on eight, and the city gates had all been locked. He gave a light, good-humoured laugh, and one of the men asked, "'Then how did you get in?' "'I swam, and I scaled the walls,' he replied simply. "'But how?' asked another." Oh, I swim like a fish, and climb like an ape. But were you not seen? Oh, yes, and shot at, but the Spaniards are bad shots, and I am here. Again he laughed gaily, light-heartedly, like apprentice after an escapade, and the two men who sat nearest him, the procurator-general and the baron van Grubendock, surreptitiously took hold of his hand, and pressed it warmly. So much for the past, signors, resumed Leatherface, after a while. My duty is done. 
I leave the planning of the future to wiser heads than mine. No, no, quoth the vice-bailiff emphatically, have we not said that we want you to lead us? I, retorted the other gaily, what do I know of leadership? I am only his highness's watchdog. Let me follow a leader and bear my share in the present trouble. I am not fit to command. A murmur went round the room, and the procurator-general rejoined earnestly, The men will obey no one but you. Take off your mask, friend, and let us all look upon the face of a man. You have all despised me too much in the past to heed my counsels now. There you spoke a lie, man, said Monsieur Van Danes, the brewer. We have all honored the man whom we called Leatherface as the bravest amongst us all. We do not know who you are. We only know you as a gallant gentleman to whom, next to William of Orange himself, we owe every triumph which our cause hath gained over our execrated tyrants. Therefore I pray you to unmask, and let us know at least to whom, next to God himself, we owe the life of the noble Prince of Orange, and also to whom we must look in future for guidance and leadership. Once more the murmur went round the room. Words of warm approval came from every side, whilst among the younger men the cry was raised and repeated insistently, Unmask! Unmask! cried Lawrence Van Rijk. Be you criminal or ne'er-do-well in the eyes of others, you are a hero in our sight. Unmask! Unmask! they reiterated unanimously. The man with the leather mask then advanced to the very edge of the platform, and putting up his hand, he asked for silence. Signors, he began, I am your servant, and will do as you wish. I have told you that I am no leader, and am not fit to command. Yet you choose to honor me, and this is no time for false humility, and the diffidence which is the attribute of cowards. But despite your gracious choice of me as your leader in this terrible emergency, will you ere you finally decide to follow me hear from me what plan i should pursue and to what heights of self-sacrifice i would ask you to rise in the face of the awful calamity which threatens our city signors he continued and indeed now save for the ring of that deep-toned voice so great was the silence in the vast refractory that every heartbeat might have been heard. You have heard the decree of our tyrant. Unless we deliver to him the precious person of our noble prince, the whole city will be delivered over to the brutal soldiery who will pillage our houses, desecrate our churches, murder and outrage our wives, our mothers, and our children, just as they did in Mons, in Valenciennes, and in Mechlin. Signors, we are men, all of us here, and at thought of what awaits us and our fellow-citizens our very heart-blood seems to freeze with horror. It is of our women that we must think, and of our children. Thank God that the Prince knows nothing of this decree, 
which hath been framed by the most inhuman monster the world hath ever known, or of a certainty he would have gone straight to the Castile and given up his precious life to save our fellow-citizens. Signors, what the prince would have done, we know, and as he would have acted, so must we be prepared to act. But before I parted from him, I had his advice on the plan which I now beg leave to place before you. On my word of honor, signors, he approved of it in its entirety, and much that I will submit to you anon hath been framed under his guidance. He paused a while, and through the holes in the mask his glowing eyes searched the faces of his listeners with a masterful glance that was both challenging and appealing. Every one of us here, he said abruptly, is, I know, ready to sacrifice his life for faith, for freedom and country, and ere we give in to the monstrous tyranny which hath planned the destruction of our city, we must fight, signors, fight to the death, fight for every inch of our ground, fight for every homestead which we would save from outrage. Death awaits us all anyhow. Then, at any rate, with God's help, let us die fighting to the end. Once more he paused, in order to draw breath, even whilst from every side there came emphatic words of enthusiasm and of approval. He held his hearers now in the hollow of his hand. They were unemotional, stolid men for the most part, these Flemish burghers and patricians, men who throughout the terrible oppression under which they had groaned for over fifty years had grimly set their teeth and endured where others had fought, because reason and common sense had shown the futility, the irreparableness of the conflict. But they were men, too, who once roused to action would never give in until they had won their fight or had been destroyed to the last man of them. And with that inspiring prophet standing there before them, stirring their sluggish blood with his ringing voice, some of that same determination began to creep into their bones, which had animated valiant Orange and his brothers and his Dutch followers to carry on the struggle for freedom at all costs and with the last drop of their blood. We'll fight with you and under your standard, friend, said the procurator general, who was the spokesman of the others. We are well armed. Aye, ye are well armed, rejoined Leatherface triumphantly. The guild of armorers are with us to a man, and we have been able to supplement our secret stores with all the treasure in the magnificent armory which Monsieur Van Beveren has placed at our disposal in the name of his guild. Aye, we are well armed and well manned. There are two thousand of us, signors, and our numbers will be doubled before noon to-morrow. The duke hath brought ten thousand soldiers with him. Well, it will be a three-to-one fight, but if we were still more completely outnumbered, we would still carry on the struggle, seeing that the lives of our children and the honor of our women are at stake. We can fight, murmured one of the older men, 
but we cannot conquer no we cannot conquer said leatherface earnestly we must perish because might is greater than right unless god chooseth to perform a miracle and i for one still believe that he will but we must not weaken our determination by reckoning childishly on divine interference if we fight we fight because we refuse to die like cowards because we refuse to go before our maker shamed at having allowed our homes to be devastated our women outraged our children massacred without striking a blow however futile in their defense we fight then signors he added exultantly is that your decision there was not one dissentient voice old and young grave and gay prudent and hot-headed every man there was ready to follow the leader of their choice for freedom faith and country cried leatherface loudly for freedom faith and country came from two thousand panting throats as to our plan of campaign now resumed the man with the mask as soon as silence and calm was restored once more i have not yet had the time to think on all the details soberly but the main outline of it was dictated to me by the prince of orange even whilst we halted at wandelgem waiting for horses he is the finest military strategist the world hath ever known misfortune hath pursued him but hath not impaired his marvellous powers of command i will ask some of you signors to aid me with your counsels and with the directions which his highness hath given me we may yet give such a fine account of ourselves as will force our tyrants to treat with us for peace there are only two thousand of us now by to-morrow we can reckon on several thousands more but of a certainty at the first clash of arms all our young and able-bodied fellow-citizens will take heart and join us in our desperate struggle and may god help us all there is no doubt that he had inflamed the blood of his hearers by the dim light of the tallow candles every face now looked flushed every pair of eyes glowed with the noble fire of patriotism and of courage leatherface waited for a time in silence while whispered conversation and discussion became general he did not join in it himself but stood somewhat apart from the others the cynosure of all eyes a strange almost mysterious figure in his tightly fitting clothes which gave full play to the powerful muscles of arms and thighs and displayed the great breadth of shoulder and depth of chest many there were who still eyed him curiously lawrence van Rijk, in particular did not take his eyes off him but no one thought of challenging him again to unmask what mattered what the face was like when the heart was so great and fine after a few minutes the man with the mask once more advanced to the edge of the platform there was still something that he wished to say we must not forget signors he began very quietly that the tyrant hath given us a respite of forty-eight hours before he will embark on his 
hellish work of destruction he hath demanded the person of the prince of orange as the price of his mercy well signors the prince thank god is no longer here but it is just possible that we may bribe the wild beast yet into satisfaction by giving him some of the blood for which he thirsts and thus save our beautiful city from all the horrors which he hath in contemplation against her and how wilt do that friend sighed monsieur van overbeck despondently with your permission i will explain rejoined the other i propose that anon in the early morning a certain number of you seek out the duke of alva in hetzbanjard's castile and tell him that the prince of orange aided by his humble watchdog did succeed in evading once again the trap which had been set for him but he continued with slow and deliberate emphasis that you are prepared to deliver into his hands the person of the man leatherface since you happen to know his whereabouts in the city for a moment he could not continue loud and vehement protestations against this monstrous proposal arose from every side i entreat you signors to remember he continued with deep earnestness as soon as the tumult had subsided that a certain amount of mystery hath hung not through mine own seeking believe me around my person next to our prince himself there are few in this unfortunate country whose death would be more welcome to our spanish tyrants than that of the miscreant leatherface and my belief is that if you offered to give him up to the lieutenant-governor you might obtain from that cruel despot a small measure of mercy for our city he had long since finished speaking but now there were no longer any protestations or murmurs an awesome silence hung about the vaulted room no one had stirred no one spoke not one man dared to look his neighbor in the face every man stared straight before him at that slim figure which suddenly appeared to them all to be unearthly as it stood there beneath the canopy like the very personification of simple self-sacrifice offering up his life so willingly and above all so cheerfully to save his fellow-men in these days of cruel oppression and of sublime virtues such an act of abnegation was probably not rare men were accustomed to suffer death and worse for an ideal and for the sake of others who were weaker than themselves but there was something so engaging so light-hearted in that stranger there that every man who heard him felt that by sacrificing such a man he would be sending a brother a son or dear friend to the gallows well signors said leatherface i still await your decision you speak glibly friend murmured the procurator-general sombrely but if the tyrant hath you in his power it will not only mean death for you remember it will not mean the axe or the gallows it will mean the torture-chamber of the inquisition first and the stake afterwards i know that retorted the other simply better men than i have gone through it all for faith and freedom 
I am young, tis true, but I have no ties of interest or affection that bind me to this earth. Few men will go to their maker so little regretted by kith or kin as I shall be. So I pray you, do not think of me. Rather turn your thoughts, I entreat, to the details of the plan, the composition of the deputation that would be prepared to meet the Duke of Alva to-morrow. Those posts, too, will be full of danger, and the negotiations, too, might fail. What is the life of one man worth, when weighed in the balance with an entire city? And which of us would you entrust with the abominable errand? queried Lawrence Van Ryck abruptly. Not you, of a certainty, said the other. Your mother will have need of comfort and protection, since she refused to place herself in safety. Monsieur, the procurator-general, should, I think, lead the deputation. He hath never been suspected of heresy or rebellion, and the proposal would thus come quite naturally from him. If Monsieur Van Overbeck will join him, and you, Signor Van Grubendock, Meseems that we could not choose better. Nay, I cannot do it, interposed the vice-bailiff vehemently. I would sooner cut off my right hand now. Would you sooner sacrifice this city, all the women and children, your own wife, monsieur, and daughters, rather than one man, whose identity you need never know? It was indeed a terrible puzzle, one which even these brave men found it hard to solve. I entreat you, signors, continued Leatherface earnestly, to do what I ask. Nay, he added resolutely, I'll do more. Just now you chose me as your leader. Then I command you to act in accordance with my will. You are quite determined, then, asked the vice-bailiff. Would you counsel me to waver? retorted the other. Ah, signors, he added, with that ringing note in his voice which was so inspiring to them all. I entreat you do not grieve for me, rather grieve for yourselves, and gather courage for your errand. So help me, God, yours will be no easy task. You will have to fawn and to cringe before the tyrant whom you hate. You will have to bear his arrogance and the insolence of his menials." You will have to swallow your wrath and to bend your pride. Your sacrifice, indeed, will be far harder to make than mine. I only offer mine own unworthy life. You will offer up to-morrow your dignity, your manhood, all that you and your fathers hold so dear. Nay, I would not change places with you for ten such worthless lives as mine. See what a coward I am! I send you to do this abominable errand, while I sit at home in comfort, and dream of the happiness of giving my life for Ghent and for her children. God help us all, murmured Monsieur de Nout, the procurator-general. Indeed, he alone can do that, rejoined Leatherface, for grave fears assail me that our proposal will be rejected. Is it likely that it would appeal to such a bloodthirsty tyrant as the Duke of Alva? My one hope, and that, alas, is a slender one, is that he hath it not in his mind to destroy our beautiful city, 
and might be glad of an excuse of exercising mercy a groan of execration greeted this suggestion was it likely that any thought of mercy could ever enter the mind of such a man more cruel than any beast of prey for he killed for the mere sake of killing inflicted inhuman tortures on innocent victims for the sake of gloating over their sufferings and rejoiced in bloodshed and outrage and desecration for their own sakes without any thought of benefiting himself then if these negotiations fail signors concluded leatherface finally nothing will be left for us but a bitter struggle which may end in defeat but which will leave us proud and unconquered still amen to that said the procurator-general fervently then let us go quietly to our homes to-night let us keep from those who are weak and anxious all knowledge of that which we have resolved let our women pray while we prepare to act flemish women have hearts of steel they will not waver when the hour comes they will help us with their prayers now and load our arquebuses for us when we need them for them we will fight and for our children and if defeat stares us in the face at the last then will we save them by one supreme act from falling into the hands of the tyrant until then and after signors allow me to keep this mask upon my face when you go to meet the duke of alva to-morrow you will offer him a paltry chattel a man whom you do not know who hath no name no identity the spy of the prince of orange just him whom you call leatherface god reward you they murmured fervently perhaps he will whispered the man with the mask under his breath and with a speedy death and now he added as the hour is late let us disperse to-morrow here and at this hour we meet again monsieur de Nout will give you a report of his audience with the tyrant and i may be lucky enough to be allowed to give my life for this city which i love farewell signors may god guard you until then if alva will have none of me then i will have the honor of leading you to victory i hope to death if god wills one by one they rose from the benches where they had been sitting and all took what they believed to be a last farewell of that strange man whose identity was still unknown to them yet whom they had all learned to love as a leader and as a friend indeed their noble hearts were torn asunder by the awful alternative which he himself had placed for them it was a case of grim determination of smothering every call of sentiment which might prove insistent against thus sacrificing a brave man to the cruel lust of an abominable tyrant it had to be and these men were fine and great enough in themselves to understand that in offering up his life to save his fellow-citizens leatherface had certainly chosen the better part and having looked their last on him they went out through the postern gate of the convent of st agnaton in groups of twos and threes they crossed the two bridges that spanned the lay at this point 
The night was dark, and this was an isolated part of the city, situate far from the Stathus and the Cooter. From the St. Boffs and St. Nicholas quarters of the city came faintly echoing across the river the sound of riotous merriment proceeding from those buildings and houses wherein the Walloon soldiery had installed themselves, but the men who had just pledged themselves to fight a losing battle against overwhelming odds paid no heed to what went on around them. They glided noiselessly through the dark and narrow streets. Some went to right, some to left, some to north, and others to south, and quietly regained their homes. But in the vast refectory, two men had remained behind after every one else had gone. They were the man with the mask and Lawrence Van Ryck. The latter had waited in silence whilst the whole of the assembly filed out by the door. But when Leatherface in his turn prepared to go, Lawrence threw him such a look of appeal that after an instant's hesitation he too decided to wait. Then, when the last of the assembly had gone, Lawrence tried to speak, but the words died in his throat ere they reached his quivering lips. There was still that look of mute appeal in his eyes and of well-nigh unendurable mental torment in every line of his haggard face, and suddenly he gave a cry like some wounded creature in mortal pain. He fell on his knees against the table, and burying his face in his hands, he sobbed like a child. The other waited patiently and silently until the paroxysm was over. His mouth beneath the mask looked set but kindly, and his eyes through the holes in the leather were fixed upon the stricken man. She is safe from the vengeance of our people, he said, as soon as he saw that Lawrence had momentarily regained his self-control. Is that what troubles you, monsieur? Lawrence, already ashamed of his tears, had struggled to his feet. He passed his hand across his moist forehead and through his unruly hair and tried to look Leatherface valiantly between the eyes. Partly that, he said resolutely, but I'll not speak of her. It was she, then, who betrayed us all, he added with another heartbroken cry. To this Leatherface made no answer, and Lawrence continued more calmly. It was of the lists I wished to speak, the papers which his highness entrusted to my care. Yes, I went to look for them after, after she left the house and found that they had gone. Then what did you do? I knew that we were betrayed, then, there, at once, and by her, an exquisite woman, monsieur, whom I—oh, it was horrible, he exclaimed, and even now a look that was almost like death came over his wan cheeks and hollow eyes. Then once more he resumed quietly. For a few moments the blow of this awful discovery completely stunned me. I could neither think nor act. My first coherent thought was to consult with my mother as to what had best be done, how to find his highness until evening I knew not, or how to obtain duplicate lists so that I could run round the town and warn all our followers of the terrible danger that threatened them. You did not think of flight, for your mother, I mean? 
I entreated my mother to leave the city at once, but she refused to go, and we were standing face to face with one another, and the terrible calamity that had befallen us all when Pierre came in with a letter, which, he said, was given to him in the open street by a man whom he did not know. The letter, I take it, came from you. Yes, replied the other. I was afraid that you might do something rash and raise the alarm before it was necessary. The lists, he added, are quite safe. I was able, after his highness left the high bailiff's house last night, to extract them from the bureau, where I did not feel that they were over-safe. In their place, I put a packet containing fictitious lists of men who do not exist, and places of abode which are not to be found in this city. It is these which have been sent to Signor de Vargas. I had just time to scribble these and to place them in a conspicuous place in the bureau. You used a false key, then, queried Lawrence, in bewilderment. Am I not a spy of the Prince of Orange? retorted the other, with a quaint little laugh, and are not all spies provided with means of forcing secret locks? Here are the lists, he added, as from inside his doublet he half drew the packets of papers. When you are called to account for them, you can return them without fear. No one will know that they ever left your care, that is, if you have not spoken of it before now. No, I had not the heart. We all knew that we were betrayed. You warned us all and took measures to convene us here tonight. But until the hour when your letter warned me that for the moment all was well, I endured mental torments such as surely the lost souls in hell have never suffered. I saw those lists in the hands of our tyrants, placed there by the instrumentality of a woman who is to me the embodiment of all that is pure and good. I saw in my mind the spies of Alva going the round this very night and arresting our brave followers one by one. Oh, God, you do not know what I suffered. Do not think of that any more, monsieur, rejoined Leatherface quietly. As you see, the lists are now safe in my care. Alas, it is too late to beg you to take your mother out of the city. Guard and protect her well, and God help us all. He once more now prepared to go, and Lawrence was ready to follow him. But just at the last, an impulse caused the latter to detain the mysterious stranger once more. There was still one question which hovered on his lips, the answer to which would perhaps ease that awful burden of sorrow which Lenora's betrayal had placed upon his soul. Monsieur, he said appealingly, what of her? Pray for her, monsieur, replied Leatherface quietly. She suffers more than you do. Must we all curse her then, or else be traitors to our own people? Nay, you can pity her. What she did, she did from her own sense of patriotism and of justice. She hates us all, monsieur, as the enemies of her people. She hates and despises me as the assassin of the man she loved. Pray for her, monsieur, but in pity pray also for the man who, whilst striving to win her heart, 
only succeeded in breaking his own. An hour later in the house, in the Neustrat, Clemence van Rijk was still awake. She sat in her favorite tall chair beside the hearth, and Lawrence, her son, was kneeling beside her. "'It is too late now, mother,' he was saying gloomily. "'No power on earth can save you. Would to God you had let me take you to Bruges this afternoon.' and desert my post like a coward retorted clemence hotly i can do little tis true but when the hour comes i can tend the sick and the dying and pray for the dead and if you are taken from me lawrence i can be laid beside you but she added with such an intensity of bitterness and hatred that her voice nearly choked her as she spoke i would not owe my safety to that execrable traitress hush mother in the name of heaven broke in lawrence with a heart-broken sob are you too going to defend her retorted the mother fiercely she was compelled to act as she did murmured lawrence she acted in ignorance and innocence i'd stake my life that she is pure and good pure and good exclaimed clemence with a strident laugh a spawn of the devil without virtue and without mercy oh that my lips should ever have touched her lying face that white forehead which concealed thoughts of falsehood and treachery do not defend her lawrence or you will break my heart leave her defence to your brother mark who cares nothing for his country and for his kindred who will smile and drink whilst the walls of ghent fall about his ears who hath allowed his weak and cowardly heart to be captured by that murderess leave him to defend her i say lenora de vargas is worthy of mark van Rijk. mother cried lawrence with uncontrolled vehemence as he threw his arms round his mother's shoulders in the name of god stop for you almost blaspheme speak not of mark save with a blessing on your lips pray for him this night as you have never prayed before lawrence cried the mother are you mad what do you mean what has happened to mark where is he in his bed no doubt at this moment mother sleeping whilst we all weep and pray sleeping in peace whilst giving up life and more than life to try and save us all retorted lawrence as he slowly rose to his feet lawrence you are mad mark is mark is the friend and savior of the prince of orange mother dear said the young man quietly and we have all known him hitherto as leatherface it is false cried clemence vehemently i swear by god that it is true proclaimed lawrence fervently the exclamation which she would have uttered froze upon clemence van Rijk's lips for a moment she remained quite still leaning slightly forward with hands resting upon the arms of the chair then a pitiable moan escaped her and slowly she rose and then fell upon her knees oh god forgive me she cried if this be true it is true mother said lawrence firmly for close on two hours to-night i sat close to him whilst he spoke in the absence of the prince of orange we have chosen him as our leader 
if the duke of alva refuses the proposals which we are going to put before him mark will lead us to fight or to death the proposal what proposal that leatherface be given up to the tyrant as the price of the safety of the city and you his brother agreed to this infamous suggestion murmured clemence hoarsely we must not leave a stone unturned or a man alive to save the women and children replied larynx somberly then may god have mercy on us all cried clemence and she fell back heartbroken against the cushions of her chair End of chapter 13